0: This is chapter 9 of J.C. Ryle's book, Holiness, titled, Lot, a Beacon. The text is from Genesis 19, 16. He lingered. The holy scriptures, which are written for our learning, contain beacons as well as patterns. They show us examples of what we should avoid as well as examples of what we should follow. The man whose name heads this page is set for a beacon to the whole Church of Christ. His character is put before us in one little word. He lingered. Let us sit down and look at this beacon for a few minutes. Let us consider Lot. Who is the man who lingered? It is the nephew of faithful Abraham. And when did he linger? The very morning Sodom was to be destroyed. And where did he linger? Within the walls of Sodom itself. And before whom did he linger? Under the eyes of the two angels who were sent to bring him out of the city. Even then he lingered. The words are solemn and full of food for thought. They ought to sound like a trumpet in the ears of all who make any profession of religion. I trust that they will make every reader of this message think. Who knows, but they are the very words your soul requires. The voice of the Lord Jesus commands you to remember Lot's wife. The voice of one of his ministers invites you this day to remember Lot. Let us examine the state of Lot himself. What the text says of him why he lingered what sort of fruit he brought forth the whole while paying special attention as an instruction for holiness the main principle is clear we must not follow the example of lot we must not linger once more i say lot is a beacon what was lot this is the most important point if i leave it unnoticed i shall perhaps miss that group of professing christians i want to especially to benefit if i do not make it quite clear many would perhaps say after reading this message ah Lot was a bad man, a poor, wicked, dark creature, an unconverted man, a child of this world. No wonder he lingered. But listen now to what I say. Lot was nothing of the kind. Lot was a true believer, a converted person, a real child of God, a justified soul, a righteous man. Has any one of my readers grace in his heart? So also had Lot. Has any one of my readers a hope of salvation? So also had Lot. Is any one of my readers a new creature? So also was Lot. Is any one of my readers a traveler in the narrow way which leads unto life? So also was Lot. Let no one think this is only my private opinion, a mere arbitrary imagination of my own, a notion unsupported by Scripture. Let no one suppose I want him to believe it merely because I say it. The Holy Spirit has placed the matter beyond controversy by calling Lot just and righteous, 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8, and has given us good evidence of the grace that was in him. One evidence is that he lived in a wicked place, The wickedness he saw and heard day after day, 2 Peter 2.8, and yet was not wicked himself. Now to be a Daniel in Babylon, and Obadiah in Ahab's house, and Abijah in Jeroboam's family, a saint in Nero's court, and a righteous man in Sodom, a man must have the grace of God. Without grace it would be impossible. Another evidence is that he was tormented in his righteous soul by the wickedness he saw and heard, 2 Peter 2.8. He was wounded, grieved, pained, and hurt at the sight of sin. This was feeling like Holy David who says, I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because they kept not your word. Psalm 119, 136. Rivers of water run down my eyes because they keep not your law. Psalm 119, 158. This was feeling like Paul who says, I have great sorrow and continual heaviness in my heart from my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Romans 9, 2 and 3. Nothing will account for this but the grace of God. Another evidence is that he was tormented in his righteous soul day after day with the unlawful deeds he saw, 2 Peter 2, eight, He did not at length become cool and lukewarm about sin as many do. Familiarity and habit do not take off the fine edge of his feelings as too often is the case. Many a man is shocked and startled at the first sight of wickedness and yet becomes at last so accustomed to seeing it that he views it with comparative unconcern. This is especially the case with those who live in towns and cities, or with English people who travel on the continent. Such people often become utterly indifferent about the many forms of open sin, but it was not so with Lot, and this is a great mark of the reality of his grace. Such a one was Lot, a just and righteous man, a man sealed and stamped, as an heir of heaven by the Holy Spirit himself. Before we pass on, let us remember that a true Christian may have many a blemish, many a defect, many an infirmity, and yet be a true Christian nevertheless. We do not despise gold because it is mixed with much dross. We must not undervalue grace because it is accompanied by much corruption. Read on and you will find that Lot paid dearly for his lingering. But do not forget as you read that Lot was a child of God. Let us see what the text says about Lot. What does the text already quoted tell us about Lot's behavior? The words are wonderful and astounding. It says, He lingered. The more we consider the time and circumstances, the more astonishing we shall think of them. Lot knew the dreadful condition of the city in which he stood. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that He has sent us to destroy it, Genesis 19, 33, and yet he lingered. Lot knew the fearful judgment coming down on all within its walls. The angels had said plainly, The Lord has sent us to destroy it, and yet he lingered. Lot knew that God was a God who was always going to keep His word. And if he said a thing, he would surely do it. He could hardly be Abraham's nephew and live long with him and not be aware of this. Yet he lingered. Lot believed there was danger, for he went to his sons-in-law and warned them to flee. Up, he said, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. And yet he lingered. Lot saw the angels of God standing by, waiting for him and his family to go forth. He heard the voice of those ministers of wrath ringing in his ears to hasten him. The angels urged lot saying hurry take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you will be swept away when the city is punished and yet he lingered he was slow when he should have been quick backward when he should have been going forward trifling when he should have been hastening loitering when he should have been hurrying cold when he should have been hot it seems almost incredible it appears too astonishing to be true but the spirit writes it down for our learning and so it was And yet, incredulous as it may appear at first sight, I fear there are many of the Lord Jesus Christ's people, in fact, Christians very much like Lot, mark this well. There are many real children of God who know far more than they live up to and see far more than they practice and yet continue in this state for many years. Incredibly, they go as far as they do and yet go no further. They hold the head, even Christ, and love the truth. They like sound preaching and assent to every article of gospel doctrine when they hear it but still there is an indescribable something which is not satisfactory about them. They are constantly doing things which disappoint the expectations of their ministers and of more advanced Christian friends. It causes one to marvel that they think as they do and yet stand still. They believe in heaven and yet seem faintly to long for. it. They believe in hell and yet seem little to fear it. They love the Lord Jesus, but the work they do for him is small. They hate the devil, but they often appear to tempt him to come to them. They know the time is short, but they live as if it were long. They know they have a battle to fight, yet one might think they were at peace. They know they have a race to run, yet they often look like people sitting still. They know the judge is at the door, and there is wrath to come, and yet they appear half asleep. Astonishing they should be what they are, and yet be nothing more. And what shall we say of these people? They often puzzle godly friends and relations. They often cause great anxiety. They often give rise to great doubts and searchings of heart but they may be classed under one sweeping description. They are all brethren and sisters of Lot. They linger. These are those who get the notion into their minds that it is impossible for all believers to be so very holy and very spiritual. They allow that imminent holiness is a beautiful, beautiful thing. They like to read about it in books, and even to see it occasionally in others. But they do not think at all that it means they should aim so high at a standard. At any rate, they seem to make up their minds that it is beyond their reach. These are those who get it into their heads, false ideas of charity, as they call it. They are morbidly afraid of being illiberal and narrow-minded. They would gladly please everybody and suit everybody and be agreeable to everybody, but they forget that they ought first to be sure that they please God. These are those who dread sacrifices and shrink from self-denial. They never appear able to apply our Lord's command to take up the cross and cut, out, cut off the right hand and pluck out the right eye. They cannot deny that our Lord used these expressions, but they never found a place for them in their religion. They spend their lives in trying to make the gate more wide and the cross more light, but they never succeed. These are those who are always trying to keep in with the world. They are ingenious in discovering reasons for not separating decidedly and in framing plausible excuses for attending questionable amusements and keeping up questionable friendships. One day you are told of their attending a Bible class. The next day, perhaps, you hear of their going to a ball. One day they fast or go to the Lord's table and receive the sacrament. Another day they go to the race course in the morning and the opera at night. One day they are almost in hysterics under some sermon of some sensational preacher. Another day they are weeping over some novel. They are constantly laboring to persuade themselves that to mix a little with the worldly people on their own ground does good. Yet in their case, it is very clear they do no good and only get harm. These are those who cannot find it in their hearts to quarrel with their besetting sin, whether it be sloth, indolence, ill-temper, pride, selfishness, impatience, or whatever it may be. They allow it to remain a tolerably quiet and undisturbed tenant of their hearts. They say it is their health, or their constitutions, or their temperaments, or their trials, or their way. Their father, or their mother, or grandmother was so before themselves, and they are sure they cannot help it. But when you meet after the absence of a year or so, you hear the same thing. But all, all, all may be summed up in one single sentence. They are brethren and sisters of Lot. They linger. Ah, if you are a lingering soul, you are not happy. You know you are not. It would be strange indeed if you were so. Lingering is the sure destruction of a happy Christianity. A lingerer's conscience forbids him to enjoy inward peace. Perhaps at one time you did run well, but you have left your first love. You have never felt the same comfort since. And you will never will until you return to your first works. Like Peter, when the Lord Jesus was taken prisoner, you are following the Lord afar off. And like him, you will find the way not pleasant, but hard. Come and look at Lot. Come and mark Lot's history. Come and consider Lot's lingering and be wise. What reasons may account for his lingering? Who is there among the readers of this present text who feels secure and has no fear of lingering? Come and listen while I tell you a few passages of Lot's history. Do as he did, and it will be a miracle indeed if you do not get into the same state of soul at last. One thing, then, I observe in Lot is this. He made a wrong choice in early life. There was a time when Abraham and Lot lived together. They both became rich and could live together no longer. Abraham, the elder of the two, in the true spirit of humility and courtesy, gave Lot the choice of the country Which, when they resolved to part company. is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And what did Lot do? We are told he saw the plains of Jordan near Sodom were rich, fertile, and well-watered. It was a good land for cattle and full of pastures. He had large flocks and herds, and it just suited his requirements. And this was the land he chose for a residence, simply because it was a rich, well-watered land. It was the town near the town of Sodom. He had no concern for that. The men of Sodom, who would be his neighbors, were wicked. It mattered not. They were exceeding sinners before God. It made no difference to him. The pasture was rich. The land was good. He wanted such a country for his flocks and herds. And before that argument all scruples and doubts, if indeed he had any, at once went down. He chose by sight and not by faith. He asked no counsel from God to preserve him from mistakes. He looked to the things of time and not of eternity. He thought of his worldly profit and not of his soul. He considered only what would help him in this life. He forgot the solemn business of the life to come. This was a bad beginning. But I observe also that Lot mixed with sinners when there was no occasion for his doing so. We were first told that he pitched his tent toward Sodom. This, as I have already shown, was a great mistake. But the next time he is mentioned, we find him actually living in Sodom itself. The Spirit says expressly, He dwelt in Sodom. His tents were left. The country was forsaken. He occupied a house in the very streets of that wicked town. We are not told the reasons for this change. We are not aware that any occasion could have arisen for it. We are sure that there had been no command of God. Perhaps his wife liked the town better than the country for the sake of society. It is plain that she had no grace herself. Perhaps she persuaded Lot that it was needful for the advantage of his daughters that they might marry and get settled in life. Perhaps the daughters urged living in the town for the sake of mirthful company. They were evidently light minded young women. Perhaps Lot liked it himself in order to make more from his flocks and herds. Men never lack reasons to confirm their wills, but one thing is very clear. Lot dwelt in the midst of Sodom without good cause. When a child of God does these two things, which I have named, we never need be surprised if we hear by and by unfavorable accounts about his soul. We never need wonder if he becomes deaf to the warning voice of affliction, as Lot was, and turns out a lingerer in the days of trial and danger, as Lot did. Make a wrong choice in life, an unscriptural choice, and settle yourself down unnecessarily in the midst of worldly people. And I know no surer way to damage your own spirituality and to go backward about your eternal concerns. This is the way to make the pulse of your soul beat feebly and languidly. This is the way to make the edge of your feeling about sin become blunt and dull. This is the way to dim the eyes of your spiritual discernment until you can scarcely distinguish good from evil and stumble as you walk. This is the way to bring a moral palsy on your feet and limbs and to make you go tottering and trembling along the road to Zion, as if the grasshopper was a burden. This is the way to give the devil vantage ground in the battle, to tie your arms in fighting, to fetter your legs in running, to dry up the resources of your strength, to cripple your energies, to cut off your own hair like Samson, and give yourself into the hands of the Philistines, to put out your own eyes, grind at the mill, and become a slave. Settle these things down in your mind. Do not forget them. Recollect them in the morning. Recall them to memory at night. Let them sink down deeply into your heart. If ever you would be safe from lingering, beware of needless mingling with worldly people. Beware of Lot's choice. If you would not settle down into a dry, dull, sleepy, lazen, barren, heavy, carnal, stupid, torpid state of soul, beware of Lot's choice. Remember this in choosing a dwelling place or residence. It is not enough that the house is comfortable, the situation good, the air fine, the neighborhood pleasant, the rent or price small, the living cheap. There are other things yet to be considered. You must think of your immortal soul. Will the house you want help you toward heaven or hell? Is a faithful gospel church within an easy distance? Is Christ crucified within reach of your door? Is there a real man of God near who will watch over your soul? I charge you, if you love life, not to overlook this. Beware of Lot's choice. Remember this in choosing a calling, a place, a profession in life. It is not enough that the salary is high, the wage is good, the work life, the advantages numerous, the prospects of advancement most favorable. Think of your soul, your immortal soul. Will it be fed or starved? Will it be prospered or drawn back? Will you have your Sundays free and be able to have one day in the week for your spiritual business? I beseech you by the mercies of God to take heed what you do. Make no rash decisions. Look at the place in every light, the light of God, as well as in the light of the world. Gold may be bought too dear. Beware of Lot's choice." Remember this in choosing a husband or wife, if you are unmarried. It is not enough that your eye is pleased, that your tastes are met, that your mind finds congeniality, that there is amiability and affection, that there is a comfortable home for life. There needs something more than this. There is a life yet to come. Think of your soul, your immortal soul. Will it be helped upwards or dragged downwards by the union you are planning? Will it be made more heavenly or more earthly, drawn nearer to Christ or to the world? Will its religion grow in vigor or will it decay? I pray you, by all your hopes of glory, allow this to enter into your calculations. Think, as old Baxter said, and think and think again before you commit yourself. Be not unequally yoked. Matrimony is nowhere named among the means of conversion. Remember Lot's choice. Some reader may perhaps think, A believer need not fear. He is a sheep of Christ. He will never perish. He cannot come to much harm. It cannot be that such small matters can be of great importance. Well, you may think so. But I warn you, if you neglect these matters, your soul will never prosper. A true believer will certainly not be cast away, although he may linger. But if he does linger, it is vain to suppose that his religion will thrive. Grace is a tender plant. Unless you cherish it and nurse it well, it will soon become sickly in this evil world. It may droop, though it cannot die. The brightest gold will soon become dim when exposed to damp atmosphere. The hottest iron will soon become cold. It requires pains and toils to bring it to a red heat. It requires nothing but letting alone or a little cold water to become black and hard. You may be an earnest, zealous Christian now. You may feel like David in his prosperity when he said, I shall never be moved, but be not deceived. You have only got to walk in Lot's steps and make Lot's choice, and you will soon come to Lot's state of soul. Allow yourself to do as he did, presume to act as he acted, and be very sure you will soon discover you have become a wretched lingerer like him. You will find, like Samson, the presence of the Lord is no longer with you. You will prove to your own shame an undecided, hesitating man in the day of trial. There will come a canker on your religion and eat out its vitality without your knowing it. There will come a slow consumption on your spiritual strength and wasted away insensibly. And at length you will wake up to find your hands hardly able to do the Lord's work and your feet hardly able to carry you along the Lord's way and your faith no bigger than a grain of mustard seed. And this perhaps at some turning point in your life at a time when the enemy is coming in like a flood and, you, and your need is the sorest. Ah, if you would not become a lingerer in religion, consider these things. Beware of doing what Lot did. Let us look next at what kind of fruit his lingering brought forth. I would not pass over this point for many reasons, and especially in the present day. There are not a few who feel disposed to say, After all, Lot was saved. He was justified. He got to heaven. I want no more. If I do but get to heaven, I shall be content. If this is the thought of your heart, just stay a moment and listen to me a little longer. I will show you one or two things in Lot's history which deserve attention, and may perhaps induce you to alter your mind. I think it of first importance to dwell upon this subject. I will always contend that imminent holiness and imminent usefulness are most closely connected, that happiness and following the Lord fully go side by side, and that if believers will linger, they must not expect to be useful in their day and generation, or to be very holy and Christ-like, or to enjoy great comfort and peace in believing. Let us mark, then, that Lot did no good thing among the inhabitants of Sodom, Lot probably lived in Sodom many years. No doubt he had many precious opportunities for speaking of the things of God and trying to turn souls away from sin. But Lot seems to have affected just nothing at all. He appears to have had no weight or influence with the people who lived around him. He possessed none of that respect and reverence, which even the men of the world will frequently concede to a bright servant of God. Not one righteous person could be found in all of Sodom, outside the walls of Lot's home. Not one of his neighbors believed his testimony. Not one of his acquaintances honored the Lord whom he worshipped. Not one of his servants served his master's God. Not one of all the people from every quarter cared a jot for his opinion when he tried to restrain their wickedness. This fellow comes to town as an outsider, they said, and now he's acting like our judge. His life carried no weight. His words were not listened to. His religion drew none to follow him. And truly I do not wonder. As a general rule, lingering souls do no good to the world and bring no credit to God's cause. Their salt has too little savor to season the corruption around them. They are not epistles of Christ, which can be known and read by all. There is nothing magnetic and attractive in Christ reflecting about their ways. Let us remember this. It is also telling that Lot helped none of his family, relatives, or connections toward heaven. We are not told how large his family was, but this we do know. He had a wife and two daughters, at least in the day he was called out of Sodom, if he had not more children besides. But whether Lot's family was large or small, one thing I think is perfectly clear. There was not one among them all who feared God. When he went out and spoke unto his sons-in-law, who married his daughters, and warned them to flee from the judgments coming to Sodom, we are told he seemed to them as one who joked. What fearful words those are! It was as good as saying, Who cares for anything you say? So long as the world stands, those things will be a painful proof of the contempt with which a lingerer in religion is regarded. And what was Lot's wife? She left the city in his company, but she did not go far. She had not faith to see the need of such a speedy flight. She left her heart in Sodom when she began to flee. She looked back from behind her husband in spite of the plainest command not to do so, and was at once turned into a pillar of salt. And what were Lot's two daughters? They escaped, indeed, but only to do the devil's work. They became their father's tempters to wickedness and led him to commit the foulest of sins. In short, Lot seems to have stood alone in his family. He was not made the means of keeping one soul back from the gates of hell. And I do not wonder. Lingering souls are seen through by their own families, and when seen through, they are despised. Their nearest relatives understand inconsistency if they understand nothing else in religion. They draw the sad but not unnatural conclusion. Surely, if he really believed all that he professes to believe, he would not live on as he does. Lingering parents seldom have godly children. The eye of the child drinks in far more than the ear. A child will always observe what you do much more than what you say. Let us remember this. Lot left no evidence behind him when he died. We know but little about Lot after his flight from Sodom, and all that we do know is unsatisfactory. His pleading for Zoar because it was a little one, his departure from Zoar afterwards, and his conduct with his daughters in the cave, all, all tell the same story. All show the weakness of the grace which was in him, and the low state of soul into which he had fallen. We don't know how long he lived after his escape. We don't know where he died or when he died, whether he saw Abraham again, what was the manner of his death, what he said or what he thought, all these are hidden things. We are told of the last days of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, but not one word about Lot. Oh, what a gloomy deathbed the deathbed of Lot must have been. The scripture appears to draw a veil around him on purpose. There is a painful silence about his latter end. He seems to go out like an expiring lamp and to leave an ill odor behind him. And, we, and had we not been specially told in the New Testament that Lot was just and righteous... I truly believe we would have doubted whether Lot was a saved soul at all. But I do not wonder at his sad end. Lingering believers will generally reap according as they have sown. Their lingering often meets them when their spirit is departing. They have little peace at last. They reach heaven, to be sure, but they reach it in a poor plight, weary and foot-sore, in weakness and tears and darkness and storm. They are saved, but saved so as by fire. I ask every reader of this message to consider... The three things which I have just mentioned do not misunderstand my meaning. It is amazing to observe how readily people catch, at the least, excuse for misunderstanding the things that concern their souls. Refusing to linger does not automatically make one useful to the world. Consider Noah, who preached 120 years without effect. Nor will the refusal to linger guarantee the conversion of family or friends. Even many of King David's children were ungodly. The Lord Jesus was not believed by his own brethren. But I do say that it is almost impossible not to see some connection between Lot's evil choice and Lot's lingering, and between Lot's lingering and his unprofitableness to his family and the world. I believe the Spirit meant us to see it. I believe the Spirit meant to make him a beacon to all professing Christians, and I am sure the lessons I have tried to draw from the whole story deserve serious reflection. And now let me impart a few parting thoughts to all who call themselves believers in Christ. I have no wish to make your heart sad. I do not want to give you a gloomy view of the Christian course. My only object is to give you friendly warnings. I desire your peace and comfort. I would sincerely see you happy as well as safe and joyful as well as justified. I speak as I have done for your good. You live in days when a lingering lot-like religion abounds. The stream of profession is far broader than it once was but far less deep in many places. A certain kind of Christianity is almost fashionable now. To belong to some denomination and show a zeal for its interest, to talk about the leading controversies of the day, to buy popular religious books as fast as they come out and lay them on your table, to attend religious meetings, to subscribe to religious societies, to discuss the merits of preachers, to be enthusiastic and excited about every new form of sensational religion which crops up. All these are all new comparatively easy and common attainments. They, make, they no longer make a person singular, They require little or no sacrifice. They entail no cross. But to walk closely with God, to be really spiritually minded, to behave like strangers and pilgrims, to be distinct from the world in employment of time and lifestyle and amusements and dress, to bear a faithful witness for Christ in all places, to leave a savor of our master in every society, to be prayerful, humble, unselfish, good-tempered, quiet, easily pleased, charitable, patient, meek, to be jealously afraid of all manner of sin, to be tremblingly alive to our danger from the world. These, these are still rare things. They are not common among those who are called Christians, and worst of all, the absence of them is not felt and bewailed as it should be. In a day like this, I venture to offer counsel to every believing Christian who has the ears to hear. Do not turn away from it. Do not be angry with me for plain speaking. I bid you give diligence to make your calling and election sure. I beseech you not to be slothful, not to be careless, not to be content with a small measure of grace, not to be satisfied with being a little better than the world. I solemnly warn you not to attempt doing what never can be done. I mean to serve Christ and yet keep in with the world. I call upon you and beseech you to be a wholehearted Christian, to follow after imminent holiness, to aim at a high degree of sanctification, to live a consecrated life, to present your body a living sacrifice unto God, to walk in the Spirit. I charge you and exhort you by all your hopes of heaven and desires of glory. If you would be happy, if you would be useful, do not be a lingering soul. Would you know what the times demand? The shaking of nations, the uprooting of ancient things, the overturning of kingdoms, the stir and restlessness of men's minds. What do they say? They all cry aloud, Christian, do not linger. Would you be found ready for Christ at his second appearing, your loins girded, your lamp burning, yourself bold and prepared to meet him? Then do not linger. Would you enjoy much sensible comfort in your religion, feel the witness of the Spirit within you, know whom you have believed, and not be a gloomy, complaining, sour, downcast, and melancholy Christian? Then do not linger. Would you enjoy strong assurance of your own salvation the day of sickness and on the bed of death? Would you see the eye of faith of heaven opening and Jesus rising to receive you? Then do not linger. Would you leave great broad evidences behind you when you were gone? Would you like us to lay you in the grave with comfortable hope and talk of your state after death without a doubt? Then do not linger. Would you be useful to the world in your day and generation? Would you draw men from sin to Christ, adorn your doctrine, and make your master's cause beautiful and attractive in their eyes? Then do not linger. Would you help your children and relatives toward heaven and make them say, We will go with you and not make them infidels and despisers of all religion, then do not linger. Would you have a great crown in the day of Christ's appearing, and not be the least and smallest star in glory, and not find yourself the last and lowest in the kingdom of God, then do not linger. Oh, let not one of us linger. Time does not, death does not, judgment does not, and the devil does not, the world does not. Neither let the children of God linger. Does any reader of this thesis feel that he is a lingerer? As your heart felt heavy and your conscience sore while you have been reading these words, does something within you whisper, I am the man? Then listen to what I am saying. It is not well with your soul. Awake and try to do better. If you were a lingerer, you must go to Christ at once and be cured. You must use the old remedy. You must bathe in the old fountain. You must turn again to Christ and be healed. The way to do a thing is to do it, do this at once. Do not think for a moment that your case is past recovery. Do not think that because you have been long living in the day of dry, sleepy, and a heavy state of soul, that there is no hope of revival for you? Is not the Lord Jesus Christ an appointed physician for all spiritual ailments? Did He not cure every form of disease when He was upon earth? Did He not cast out every kind of devil? Did He not raise poor, backsliding Peter, and put a new song in His mouth? Oh, doubt not, but earnestly believe that He will yet revive His work within you. Only turn from lingering, and confess your folly, and come. Come at once to Christ. Blessed are the words of the prophet. Only acknowledge your iniquity. Return, O backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings.